Hi, it's Kristen again. I feel a bit on edge today, like I'm about to blow something up that might never be repaired. And I guess that's accurate, really, because the whole purpose of having a preemptive, scary conversation is to destroy something. It's taken my finally genuine consideration of moving into the dating world for real and seeking my partner for real and knowing that partner to be a woman for real to reveal this big, sticky block of fear that's looming in the distance. Fear big enough that it has me questioning whether I should just stop now and bail out on this whole project, this whole idea of partnership, just embrace being a settled and satisfied single. I mean, I can't help but wonder if all this seeking is actually getting me any closer to that happy family future ending. I could have moved back to the Midwest after college. I could have found a good man. I could have loved and respected and we could have gotten married and bought a house and gone to church and lived our lives. I could have just done it the way I was supposed to, the way so many other people have found it works for them. It almost feels peaceful thinking about it in the face of all this. Couldn't it have just been a good life that I was satisfied in, that I was happy in? Or would this curiosity thing just have remained too hungry to let me sit still and enjoy that life? Though, honestly, who's to say that if I keep feeding this curiosity, it's ever going to be satisfied? I guess it really doesn't matter anyway, because I didn't stay in the Midwest. But I did bring some Midwestern values with me when I moved to Southern California. Most notably, I go to church every Sunday. I grew up in a Presbyterian church in an intellectually rigorous kind of congregation. They believed that asking questions was not only not something that threatened your faith, but was something that was encouraged to strengthen it. It was perfect for an overthinker like me. I've always envisioned that my future family would sit together in the pew on Sundays. But I don't know how that might go if I turn up with a woman, the woman that I love, by my side. I don't know whether my church here would want us there. The thought that I might not be welcome with my son feels so incredibly painful that it just, it tempts me to just say, forget it, and sweep the whole idea of this partnership thing under the rug. I'm not sure how I can move forward finding my person with that kind of rejection hanging over the relationship. I guess the truth is, I don't think that I can. It's just, it would be better to just know, to just know if this tribe will reject me in the future. Just know that now, so I can be in the reality of it. So I, I ask my pastor to sit down with me and talk about marriage and relationships. And he agrees without hesitation. He's a really good guy. I've known him for years. We sit down in his office. The heater is running in the background, warding off what I now think of as a chill in the air, having been in California too long. I'm about to turn 35. I start by sharing with him what I'm doing. I really want fam my own family and marriage and that to be the next stage of my life. 
and the challenges that are apparent in that. I have never been in a romantic relationship and have no idea how to even broach that gap. You know what I mean? Okay. And then that pretty much exhausts my prepared script. (laughs) Sorry, I'm like, really? Don't be nervous. It's all good. It's, It's a lot to be taught, first of all, to be talking about it. Second of all, um... To be talking about it with you. Okay. Um, be at ease. I, <laughs> I didn't expect to get emotional. But why would you not be emotional about something like this? So the thing is, um, I grew up in the Midwest, in the Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. with the assumption that certain things were just going to click in. You know, someday I'll just be interested in dating and I'll find a husband and I'll have this little life and um, things have really not gone that way and I don't say that in that I wish they had but in a way where it's kind of like huh this is nowhere near the script that Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be following and I think the reason that I'm this emotional is that um, I'm so facing kind of the unknown with not only entering partnership that I I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what I look like in partnership, but also in the response of like other people around me and the response of my family and the response of, um, sorry, I'm really not going to be articulate in this at all. I just don't know what it's going to look like and I don't know if it's going to be okay. So have you talked to your family about this? I'm going to. And help me out here. Why... Why is that an anxiety experience for you? It's an anxiety experience on two levels. The first is, I just don't talk to my parents. So there's just anxiety around that. There's anxiety around the fact that my mindset has always been, I'm not going to disrupt the family until there's someone that I'm in love with to the extent that I'm going to bring them to them and say, like, you know, this is the person that I'm going to be with. Okay, slings and arrows go, you know, kind of thing. Just Why do you assume <laughs> slings and arrows are going to come out if you bring someone home instead of rejoicing in celebration? Um, the fact that I, um, I want a partner. I want to be married. I want to have my family. And I cannot imagine that at this moment. Um... I can't imagine that being with a man right now. Could you imagine that being with a woman? Yeah, the partnership stuff. Do you find yourself attracted to the opposite sex? (laughs) This is the million dollar question. I haven't been an innately sexual person in general. And I've wondered if I'm just... Across the board. Across the board. Okay. And so I've wondered if I'm just asexual. I don't I don't totally know. I, I've had such dear, intimate, beautiful relationships with friends. And um, because I've never moved out of a platonic state, it's not something that I've had to really consider or worry about or think about because I haven't... I haven't wanted sex, and I haven't wanted a partner, and it's been fine. But now I want a partner, but I do envision that when I have a partner that that's going to be part of our relationship because it is an important part, you know, that kind of, like, connection. I'm a a physically intimate person. Right. I didn't even think I was coming to talk to you about all of this. This is normal for me. (laughs) Good. Because, um... 
the reason I felt compelled to then come talk to you is because if I'm really, you know, when I really have, because I now have really started to entertain the idea that I may end up with a, with a wife, like, which even saying that aloud, I think that's the first, first time. I think that's the first time I've said that aloud to someone who I'm not sure how they'll take that. And I just can't imagine, um, I can't imagine having my family and not having my family part of the church and not having my family contributing. And so I think that that's been one of the like dread conversations that's out there is like if I end up with someone who I love and I'm not sure if they or we or our new unique situation will be accepted I think I've just wanted to have that conversation now so that I know, so that I can let go of that dread part of it and just, um, I don't know, just be in the reality and know kind of what I'm working with. You don't need to worry about me. We're in a moment of transition as a culture on the whole subject of sexuality. I guess when I look at pastoring, which is a strange word to me still, I really come at it from perspective of church history. And, and I like church history because the issues you and I are facing are not new. They've been faced before. And they've been faced poorly and they've been faced well. And the things the church has divided itself over, I don't think that they were the most important issues. But when I look back on church history, 70% of the time the church was on the wrong side of stuff. And, and it makes me very cognizant that I don't have all the answers, and I'm comfortable with that. And so what that does for me is say, every way you can emphasize the things that last and matter, and de-emphasize the things that aren't as life-critical for the church that could divide us. What you believe about Jesus really matters to me. And, and Jesus' transforming experience in our lives, all of our lives without exception, really important to me yeah I don't know any gay couples at our church so I really don't have a point of reference for like so we have I mean we've had gay couples here before I would say the opinions that are more vocal here are pro-gay and so if you ended up in a same-sex marriage do I think this church would freak out no I don't think this church would freak out at all I think that there'd be some people who are like, that's kind of strange to me. But I, I, my gut says it's not a settled issue in our church, and I've never made it an issue in our church. Um, and there's a lot of people that say, we just don't want to be defined as a church by the issue. Not put our heads in the sand. But it's people saying, I don't come to worship here because it's pro-gay or anti-gay. I come to worship here to encounter Christ. My sister was gay. She died of leukemia a long time ago. And uh, I come from a relatively healthy conservative uh, Presbyterian background. Not an angry, not a judgmental, just Christ-centered. I recognize how life-pivotal that question is for people about the church. I fully understand the significance of that question. And yet there's a part of me that just doesn't want to be defined by it. I think there's so many definitions of life that are really important 
am I a good person? Am I a faithful person? Do I see the larger world around me and do I interact in it? Do I have a faith that guides me in how to live my life and my relationships? Do I care for the people in my world? Those are really major pivotal questions for me. Whether someone is gay or not is not the pivotal question for me. But our culture wants to make it a pivotal question. I want to pastor a church where it's about faith and community and not about social issues. And that's not to say that social issues are unimportant. I think they're really important. I, I do. But we're in a moment in time where we're dividing ourselves on social issues instead of uniting ourselves on the things that I think are really critical. I've heard ad infinitum the arguments on both sides. And I've heard both sides blatantly abuse scripture in the conversation. I wrestle at some level with the scriptural view in the first century on it and trying to bring that into the 21st century. I think that's a legitimate conversation, but it's not where I spend my energy or time. That my number one goal is to create a community that's about Christ. Yeah. And in the same way, I don't go up to the pulpit and state my political opinions because that blocks me from proclaiming Christ. And so if you said to me, hey Jeff, I found this woman, I'm in love, I want to get married, I want to be part of the church, it'd be great. You know, I think, you know, I've shied away in all honesty from doing same-sex weddings because I don't want it to be a divisive issue in the church. You know, have I made a decision that I want to place the unity of the church over social issues? Yeah. Yeah, I have. But that doesn't mean that there's not room for everyone at this table. I, I'm confident my kids will judge me harshly on that. <laughs> uh, I'm very confident of that. But it's one of the things where, in hindsight, they'll look back and say, my father wasn't anti-gay and he wasn't pro-gay, he was pro-Christ. And, and helping people encounter Christ helps people make their own decisions in life. I'm not going to sit there and say, anti-gay people are in line with scripture. And I'm not going to say that pro-gay people are in line with Scripture. I'm going to say let's wrestle with the Scriptures together and be a community of faith. And I think at the end of the day, that creates room for everyone to be in real conversation. And that's what I'm after. I have really, really close friends in the pastors in the PCUSA who sit on opposite sides of it, who I love and respect, both of them. But I think what we're all coming to me in this pastoral group is if we make this a defining issue, we fail. We fail because the defining issue is have we helped people experience Christ in the Gospels and live their life? So, bottom line, what I'm saying to you is don't worry about us. You just don't need to worry about us because we love you and we're glad you're here. It's a relief to hear. I feel lighter, less burdened, knowing that I can go forward searching for my person without this shadow of rejection hanging over it. Finding love 
will not force an impossible choice. And I will continue to have a home in this church, this community, and with this pastor. The hardest part is behind us, and I can feel myself relax. I, uh, I revisit with him the revelation that I've never really dated. I sit and do premarital counseling with couples all the time. People overemphasize romantic love, and they under, to their own tragedy, underemphasize compatibility. Compatibility is the largest determinant of a successful relationship. Whatever pathway any of this takes you, romantic love is wonderful. Romantic love is great. There's absolutely nothing wrong with romantic love. But it is a distinct category from compatibility. What actually determines compatibility is not personality traits. It's values. Yeah. And the more that you come to grips with your own values, the more that you can articulate your values, clearer it is to see which people would be good matches or where those people hang out with those shared common values. I think the amount of growing up that's happened in the last year, really actually since the fire. Just an aside here, during the Thomas Fire, which was at the time the largest wildfire California had ever seen, my small town fell under the evacuation orders. The fire was a really big turning point, I think, in an adulting internally way. Well, and just, I was on the road for seven days with my, at the time, two-year-old, and there was no expectation that someone else was taking care of me. There was no, it was, and I had it. Like, I was just steady and stable, and there was a level of self-reliance and um, self-trust that was really incubated in that week. Mm -hmm. I think it started a kind of shift in me as far as understanding my responsibility for my own life and for what I want to bring into it. And um, I think that and this kind of clarifying what's important to me and what are the values that I want to live by, I think it's what's made me able to suddenly feel like, oh, no, I'm, I want to be in partnership with another adult. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm finally in it. I hit 34 and finally yeah. became an adult, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I trust myself with that in a way I don't think I ever could have either. Where I I don't worry that I'm going to end up in a relationship with some idiot. Right. It's not going to happen. Right. Right. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so, yeah, no, I totally agree with all of that. Yeah. You know, and, and unfortunately for most of us, we can't get there without a couple idiots in the past. <laughs> yes. Because it's part of how you realize yeah, yeah. this is what I don't want. Right. Yeah, no, and, and but and that's where these really close friendships that I've been in that have felt like partnerships in many cases, I am able to say, oh, that's something that I kept going to that I actually don't want in my future, and that's a trait that I kept finding that I actually don't want to bring along. And so, yeah, it's funny. Like I feel like in a lot of ways I've had a really similar normal learning experience in the relationship realm, and then in this very specific way, I haven't, you know, so it's, yeah, I'm just yeah. navigating that now. I'm really glad that I did the membership class simply because it was the most articulated. I've heard a lot of what I felt mm-hmm. coming here, you know, that this is a place of transformation, which is something that you've said before. That's what I hope for. I think that that's what it's all about. It's mm-hmm. being, it's being transformed. We, we know who we are. We want to be in a place that helps us become something more. 
Yeah. But it, it just kind of struck me. Sure, you go to a church and you find it's not what you thought or those things in life happen. But you only really mature when you plant yourself. When you commit. It's, yeah, it's the same as a relationship where that's this level of, okay, I'm here and we're going to figure this out together and grow together and, yeah. It's not that different for pastors. Yeah. You get here four or five years, you've given your shtick, mm-hmm. and then you have to be real, and it's much easier to move on and give that shtick to another congregation. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no growth in that. You know, and, and so, yeah, have I grown since I've been here? Of course. Have I made lots of blunders? Absolutely. But I feel like I'm in a place that lets me be me and make mistakes and learn and grow from them. Yeah. And create a community where people can do the same thing and we all move forward together. I've experienced what it is to be truly, wholly showing up with another human being. And that is wild. And that Mm -hmm. is a wild ride and it is transformative and you learn things about yourself and you watch the ugliest parts of yourself with someone else. It feels like such a worthy risk. I think I have a hunger to show up totally as myself with other people. I think all of us do. I think humans do. It's what I desire in my partnership, but I'm also getting a taste of it as I'm sitting here having this conversation with my pastor. I feel like my church tribe is in an agreement with me to work through the complicating surprises that come up just as part of being human beings and focus on our commonality. It feels good to be seen by this person sitting across from me. In spontaneous comparison, my thoughts swing to what I've been realizing through this journey became somewhere along the way the relationship in which I hide most. I feel like this was my dry run for... um talking to my talking to my parents you know do you have siblings i do so how did your siblings interact in the whole situation oh my gosh my siblings could care less i mean it's something that for a long time we've just talked about casually as like like they'll have conversations with like so when are you coming out i'm like i don't know that i am gay so i can't really come out and that's part of what's kind of hard with these conversations it's not like i can be like yes i have known to you know it's not some identity that i am claiming i don't know your parents really well yeah um, but my experience across the board is it's a messy period of transition. The number of people that are actually estranged is really low. It's really, really yeah. low. And the reason it's so low is, this is probably an unfair statement to make, but it's what I think. Very few people approach the issue of sexuality from what I think is a scriptural point. They approach it from a tribalism point of view, and then they impose scripture on top of it. My, my gut says that when a parent, most parents are faced with the issue of the love of their child over the tribalism they grew up in, the love of the child wins. So I, I, think, I think your instincts are right. I think you're in a place where most people are in this place. I think it's human nature. You're wondering if people love you enough accept who you are which puts you in company with about 7 billion other people I think if you go back through your family history I think you're going to find that love is a pretty powerful denominator I would also say and this is purely gut this is just gut I think the more that you're able 
to emotionally be vulnerable with your dad, the more you'll find that to be an utterly amazing relationship. Because I think, just from the way you described it, and being a dad, I think he's longing to be part of your life. He pulled me aside when he was here a couple weeks ago and he said, you don't know how meaningful it is to me that she's found a church that she likes and feels she belongs. And to me that's just saying, I really want my daughter to be happy and to be growing and to be fulfilled. I, I think he's longing be part of your world. I know you're right. If what we seek most in partnership and relationship is to be known and know another, we don't have to wait around for some magical partner to arise. If what we want is the relief of being seen and accepted as who we are, to be in reality with another and, and willing to tackle human issues together as adults with genuine curiosity and compassion, can't we start working towards that right now in our existing relationships? I think that there's no better nor more terrifying realm to test this idea than with my parents, the people I most actively hide, all the aspects of myself that I'll, I'm afraid they're going to find disappointing. And... And which, the more I think about it, is, is pretty much every aspect that I come to see as what makes me me. As cold sweat inducing as the thought of bringing my future forever person to church was, it doesn't even hold a candle to the terror that gets unleashed at the thought of bringing her home to my parents. So I think that's, that's where we're going next. Join me next week as I white-knuckle my way through an attempt to show up and try to make space for this part of my life by speaking with my traditional salt-of-the-earth 62-year-old parents about, you guessed it, sex. That's next time, if I make it, on Curious Love. for letting me crash his office this week. And thank you, friend, for being here. If you want to know more about how a straight-laced Christian Midwestern girl ended up here talking to you about all these crazy questions whizzing through my brain about love and sex, you can pre-order a copy of my new book, The Overthinker's Guide to Love, a story of real-life experiments turned practical wisdom. If you bop over to theoverthinkersguide.com, I'll send you a free thank you gift with your order. Hope to see you there. And until then... 
I'll see you back here next week for the next installment of Curious Love. Thank you.